Hello and welcome to Free to Watch, the podcast about free to watch film, TV and podcasts available in the UK. Um, Also, spoilers for all off the Mm -hmm. bat, just so Mm -hmm. you're aware that we will be discussing spoilers for everything that we talk about. So I'm Rachel. I'm Sharon. And the first film we're going to talk about today is a French film called Lullaby. It is also known um, by the alternative name is of Perfect Nanny, and it is on BBC iPlayer. And the plot is, when Miriam, the mother of two young children, decides, despite the reluctance of her husband, to resume her activity in a law firm, the couple starts looking for a nanny. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> And already Sharon is like traumatized. Yeah. I think like one of the first things I want to say about this film is there is an overall sense of impending doom. Absolutely. Like it it's slow building, you're always waiting for something bad to happen, and then it doesn't happen, and you're just sat there going, When is the bad thing gonna happen? Because you mm-hmm. know it is. From the poster and the setup, you know mm-hmm. that something horrible is really like on the cusp. I also had that feeling of maybe this is just we're just watching small cracks in someone. Maybe this is just oh, and that was the end, and that everything was fine, and she just got another job somewhere. And oh, yeah, it was. It, it will something bad happen, or was that the bad thing? Is have we built up to this? Is this the pinnacle of this? Is this? Oh, <laughs> oh. No. Um, so like it opens with the mother talking kind of about the anxiety of motherhood of being responsible for another life the stress of juggling two kids at different stages in development and abilities and that lock loss of adult uh interaction mm-hmm. and how lonely that can be um which I thought was really well done and I was like I I completely understand why she wants to go back to work even if they spend a fortune on childcare Mm. and like all her wages go in the childcare to have that independence and sense of self again yeah I I really appreciated um the need to just get away from the babies for a bit and remember who she was it was they never mentioned what her job was when she was talking about that it was just that I just need out I mean she could have been in a supermarket or as turns out Mm. she's a lawyer but yeah it wasn't about the job it was about that something different it was Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well approached yeah I really love the conversation where she's speaking to her husband about you know needing to go back to work I mean he's just come in from work and he He's like taking his contacts out and putting his glasses on and getting into like more relaxing clothes. And I was like, it's nice to see kind of the husband be workify himself. I feel like often in film you see women come home, take off their makeup, getting comfortable clothes. It was mm-hmm. actually nice to see a guy do it after mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um then you know the husband reluctantly agrees because he he does seem to care. He does seem 
to be someone who wants to support his wife and appreciates that they need to find compromises. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt that that relationship was pretty healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they then go into the nanny interviews. And some of them were absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, no, they were cute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like the woman not understanding that it was a nanny role and it was a cleaner role. <laughs> I can clean whenever you want. No, this is for looking after children. I'm available to clean. No, it's for looking after children. <laughs> and then there's the student who comes in with like a naked woman on a t shirt and mm-hmm. they ask her, like, um, what would you do if like my daughter won't leave the park and she's like I'll bribe them with sweets (laughs) that's my whole technique is just to bribe the children to do stuff just lie just lie yeah Yeah. psychology student funny funny (laughs) (laughs) and then when they handed the baby she makes the baby cry instantaneously yeah yeah yeah, um, and then there's a Spanish lady who just keeps repeating that she can't work late over mm-hmm. and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So finally, we get to Louise, who is like quite easy getting to grips with the kids and, you know, has that experience. And obviously, she is the obvious pick from the ones that are mm-hmm. presented to them. Mm-hmm. But you still got a vibe from her. There was still like a me, 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 like Mary Poppins, but (laughs) Mary Poppins, but Mary Poppins is after the incident. Whatever the incident was, she's not quite the same shiny Mary there anymore. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the kids like her and yeah, she has good references and seems like the perfect fit. Yeah. Sharon, can you move your microphone down a little bit more towards your chin? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Sorry, breathing into my microphone. Yes, yeah. you were breathing. But, but it's fine. This is all okay. part of his figuring stuff yeah. out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Louise is the easy, easy pick. But as you say, something very mm-hmm. sinister. Mm-hmm. There's, there's bad vibes. Something yeah. off. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they should have interviewed a bit longer. Instead of just taking the first suitable one, like have have at least three suitable ones, then make a decision instead of like making a decision out of desperation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But out of a so, bad bunch, she did shine through. So, yeah. So Louis Louis starts, and everything is going well. She's like bringing order back to the apartments, like tidying creating systems and stuff the whole time this scene is taking place where she's like just being mary poppins though there's sinister music playing in the background quite aggressively yeah um yeah i'm like "Mm, it's coming yeah and i think there was something about as well that watching her commute to work that there was a, a metro there was a walk and then a metro and then a bus and just to kind of highlight how far she's had to travel just to do this work as well. Like it did mm-hmm. have a nice little um, nod to the 
the social difference between the nanny and the and the couple like yeah 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 very much so because the couple live in this quite grand apartment in central paris Mm -hmm. and the nanny obviously lives in quite a deprived suburb yeah um yeah and as we get into it we discovered that she's basically in a bed sit um which is quite grim yeah um so kind of the first bit where you know alarm bells start is the nanny takes the kids to the park the little boy is playing with a toy truck and another child takes it from him and she goes and kind of grabs it off the other child and confronts the nanny and starts screaming at them and like it's it's all a bit awkward and the other nanny is just like they're kids they don't understand like Mm. it's not a big deal and she's like it is you do not take things that are not yours yeah (laughs) yeah and then the scene with the yogurt as well that was weird where the little girl finishing it doesn't finish her yogurt so she has to eat it with her hand like (laughs) just a bit (sighs) yeah just give her the spoon back man (laughs) there's all those little unnerving bits like building up Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time the nanny is kind of becoming the caretaker of the home and the children the the couple are rebonding and reforming their relationship and going out and having fun and spending one on one time together Mm. like and that is that's really nice to see kind of some real relationship building in a film yeah where they're enjoying spending time together and just really interacting in a loving caring way mm-hmm. um and i think often films kind of gloss over that element of relationships because they're too busy caught up in the plot rather than showing you how people interact with each other Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like the cute things like they were just sitting by the river having a beer together or when they come back from a party like both being a bit like wasted and having a giggle together and yeah just the cute little couple things yeah they are it was nice um yeah it's lovely um and then about this time, the couple t- suggests maybe that they're thinking about moving and you can see the panic in the nanny's eyes, which mm. I think goes back to, you know, that travelling to work and they'll be further away and would it even be possible for her? Um, so already she's kind of, you know, freaking out a little bit yeah. about, you know, her job and she seems to be freaking out more about losing the children rather than her income yeah because she is really bonding with the children as you said she was kind of enforcing the daughter to finish her meals like a very strict parent would um i mean there's a scene where she's doing baby massage and she's like kissing the baby's feet um and how she has some jealousy over the children's grandmother whenever the grandmother goes to, you know, take the children away and play with them and spend time with them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's also she arranges the daughter's birthday party, which seems to be absolutely unbeknown to the parents. Yeah, which was strange. Like someone would have had to send out de- like invites and stuff, or the mum just sleeps through it. She threw a banging birthday party. I mean, the decorations. She made her a dress. Mm-hmm. She handled like eight or nine excitable children. It was yeah. It was that was mm-hmm. like a very Mary Poppinsy kind of thing, like, but then still with an edge to it, still yeah, with a weird, creepy edge. She did this lovely thing, but she didn't tell the parents that she was doing it at all. She did it completely independently, like she had the right mm-hmm. to commandeer the daughter's birthday for her own kind yeah. of agenda and stuff. Yeah. Um, and the the mum is obviously quite irritated by this. Um, and like whenever the parents kind of change up things like oh we're going away for the weekend or we're going to do this or the grandmother's going to have that she is like visually in her face furious about it Mm -hmm. Um, which I feel is really good acting to just convey that with your face rather than with your voice and Mm -hmm. after she reacts, she becomes very standoffish and withdrawn. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, another thing I've written is, like, there's a nanny at the park giving, having grapes and offers grapes to the children, and she's like, nope, they do not have grapes. So she, there's something very weird happening with food here. Yeah. Like, she is controlling the food to the children. She must prepare the food for the children yeah and there's another scene where the mother's like oh oh you didn't need to cook we're gonna get like a takeaway tonight and she's like you can see how irritated she is about it yeah and And at one point oh no she was just mashing a potato or something it was a weird thing to get angry about but yeah yeah and at one point i did think is she poisoning them is this is why she's controlling the food is she drugging everyone through the food um, I mean, spoiler, that's not what's happening, but I because of all the sinister lead up, yeah, I did debate that for quite a while. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, there is there's definite like control and power balance themes running throughout this where where the line is, like how much the nanny controls and technically she controls nothing but she's bringing these kids up and mm-hmm. the parents can just come in or the, the grandma can just come in and just decide they want to do something on a whim and for a while I wondered if this film was literally just an intellectual film about about that even though there's those sinister things maybe these sinister things were just highlighting like that balance between how much of a part of the life of the family that you are as a nanny and how much you are just completely disposable as well. But that's not what this film is. (laughs) Yeah, and also, I I mean, I did debate this and was it a commentary on kind of class divide and, you know, that privilege that money and, you know, these high-powered jobs give you. Mm. Um, But as you said, it's not that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I mean there's 
there is some genuinely scary bits. There's, mm. there's one bit where she's playing with the children and they're having fun and she's pretending to be a lion hunting them. Oh. And she she is absolutely terrifying as yeah. a lion. Yeah. Yeah. It just... Oh. There was some foreshadowing there. <laughs> she's oh really, God. like, visceral and animalistic and it's it doesn't feel like play it no. feels you know no. like she is genuinely hunting them yeah yeah or it, earlier as well when she suddenly just disappears in the house and the kids spend ages looking for them looking for her and she waits mm -hmm. until they are at the point of distress before appearing suddenly like it really really strange little games like that's not normal behavior i'm sure that's not a french nanny way of doing things i just yeah yeah no it, it's like she needs proof that she is needed by them mm -hmm. and you know it's quite uh i mean as you say controlling but also disturbing um kind of abusive way mm. to manipulate the emotions of the children mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah it's, it's not right um i mean then after this terrifying game <laughs> of lion hunt um the parents invite the nanny to a meal with their friends and she is just so awkward and uncomfortable interacting with other adults. Mm -hmm. She just kind of doesn't know what to do. And admittedly, like, the parents' friends are all kind of, like, pretentious hipsters. Because, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, the wife is a lawyer, but the husband seems to work in the music industry. I think he's, like, a record producer or something. Mm -hmm. He works in the studios. Mm -hmm. Um and they have the most pretentious friends ever. Like, too too cool. And yeah. the nanny is, like, stern, matronly, just d does not work in that dynamic. And she doesn't even make an effort to try and chat with them. Mm -mm. It's, like, she's from a different era. Yeah. Like, she's... I don't know what the French equivalent is of Victorian, but, you know, that stereotypical, yeah. stern, reserved, um, cold stereotype. Yeah. Um, now, then she sinks into the role of a maid. She cooks the whole meal and everything. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. The, the meal did give me a laugh, though, because uh, one of the friends husbands is talking about kind of women's rights and women's roles and his partner is like i'm not asking you to be a feminist just a bit less of a moron <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was really funny i was like i think all women can relate to that like i don't want you i don't need you to be you know an ultra ultra militant feminist i just need you to stop being a dick <laughs> yay <laughs> <laughs> you know, have some respect. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I think I needed that laugh at that point in the film because <laughs> things yeah. were beginning. 
to amp up. Yeah. Um, the couple then go on holiday to Spain and they invite the nanny. And the nanny initially seems overjoyed to go. She's really excited. I don't think she's ever been out the country yeah. or explored anywhere. Um, so she's like super excited. And then they get there and then things start going a bit off again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Where the kids are trying to get her to go into the sea with her and she loses her shit again. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it turned into quite a nice moment after they like calm down and everything. She's scared of the water. She can't swim. And the dad takes some time to teach the nanny how to swim. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a, oh, look at you being part of family, kind of. Yeah, and I think it kind of showed that although sometimes the nanny made the parents feel uncomfortable, they still saw her as a person. They still wanted to treat her with respect and help her out and, you know, didn't just see her as a servant. Mm -hmm. They saw her as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was nice. But then the, the nanny keeps getting forced to go to dinner with the parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the owner of the apartments is staying on, keeps offering to sing and keeps offering to look after the kids so the nanny can go to dinner with them. And the parents are just like, oh my God, what we're we going to talk to her about. I did really enjoy that scene where they're just texting each other. I thought that was really funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we going to talk to her about? Orcs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless. Um, yeah they did I mean overall the holiday was okay there was a few awkward moments but she seemed to really enjoy it she while they're on the holiday the nanny becomes aware that the parents are still having sex yep and then she becomes obsessed with the idea of them having another child to look after Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. when they return home starts planting that idea in the in the daughter's head to be like, oh, mommy, I would love to have another brother, sister, whatever. Mm -hmm. So it goes into that kind of manipulation of the children again. Yeah. Um, And also, like, it it made it very obvious that she's manipulating the children because they're easy to manipulate. Yeah. Well, the daughter in particular, the son's kind of too young to be manipulated. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, so she plants that seed of the parents having another child and then to try and give the parents time to have sexy time. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to take the kids out for dinner and takes them to the most serious bar. Yeah, I thought I was being judgy when I thought that, but no, it it was a weird place to take kids. That was a weird place to take children. I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, all the patrons seem to just be going about their business, having a few drinks, playing pool and stuff. Um, Like, there there was nothing wrong with the people there. Just it seemed really weird to take very small children to a bar. Yeah, yeah. For dinner. And it's not like a restaurant with a bar. It was a bar that happened to do kind of pub food yeah, or yeah. bar snacks. Yeah. And she's trying to 
make the daughter eat as much as possible to stay out as long as possible in this weird environment. You can tell that the daughter's not really enjoying being there. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. she would have been better off taking them to Mackie D's. Right. That's probably what the kids were thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Happy yeah. meal, play with the toy, be there for a while. Yeah. Um, but no, it, I, I did wonder if it was like she took them there because that was all she could afford. But yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't know. It was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable watching. I felt like something bad was really going to happen in that bar because the way they lit it was very ominous. There was like the greeny fluorescent glow. Mm -hmm. Everything was dim. They made a point. Look... Yeah, they made a point of showing you that there was like raunchy music videos or whatever on in the background. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they did everything possible to make it feel grimy. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, they return home, uh, and then Annie discovers that the mum went straight to bed, <laughs> and she is furious. She's like, "What happened to your sexy time?" In her face, you can see she's just like, "You were supposed to bang. <laughs> you were supposed to bang. I need more children to look after. I needed you to plant the seed." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, she's. She's livid. Um, and then the mum gets a period, which she gets. She's really upset when she finds blood on the bed sheets. Yeah. Um, yeah. So her plan completely failed. But And I think part of the reason she's so angry is because she can't control the adults. No. You're very right. Like yeah. she, she has her agenda, but she can't control them. Mm-mm. Um, mm no matter how much she reads about old wives' potions or rolls around on their bed. Like, no, no. Mm. I don't know how either of those would help, but that's what she tries. <laughs> so. Yeah. She, mm, like, it, it just gets, uh, I, I hate the way she manipulates the, the daughter. Mm -hmm. It makes me really uncomfortable. Um, and then when they're at, the next kind of bit is she's at the park and Mila, the daughter, goes missing and she runs around the whole of the park looking for her and then finds her with a woman and this other woman tells her off for losing the daughter. Yeah. So then she tells off the daughter in a very aggressive way. Oh, oh my God. That was, that was, oh, scary what she said to that little girl. Yeah, because she's listing all the horrible things that could have happened to yeah. her. Yeah. Instead of just saying, you scared me, please don't do that again. Yeah, I was terrified that I'd lost you. She lists, like, men could have taken you and, did she say, like, sold you into slavery and... <laughs> Hidden you away and, oh, done nasty mm. things to you. It was just, oh, woman, not nice, no, no. No, that's not very age appropriate. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, uh, the dog then gets angry at her and bites her. Um, a little while later, the daughter then bites the son. Mm. Um, and the mother finds the bite marks on the son and speaks to the nanny about it. And the nanny's just like, I'm dealing with it. And then a bit later, you find out that the nanny's biting both of them. 
Yeah. Yeah. She's like teaching them this behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that weird lion wolf moment just coming a bit closer and closer and closer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a bit where she is playing with the daughter and her and the daughter put on mummy's makeup. Hmm. Um, Which... I mean, I'm just like, oh, maybe don't touch someone else's stuff. But at the same time, I do think this is quite a common thing for the children to do is to play with mummy's makeup. Yeah. But the dad, the dad comes home and goes mental. Loses his shit. You <laughs> made my daughter. Looks... Yeah. You look yeah. like a whore. Come on. <laughs> you made my daughter look like a whore. I'm like, whoa, this is a bit extreme. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah yeah i think that was the first time i was like oh maybe that dad isn't as progressive as i thought he was yeah like yeah there is that weird reveal though where like the little girl's got the makeup on and then louise turns around and her face is just like scary clown done up you're like oh my god okay (laughs) wow she doesn't look like a whore she looks yeah like a woman on the edge but yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and then we get to the point where the, the couple and the kids go to the grandmother's house for a week. And so they go, go away, tell the nanny she can have a week off, and she is pissed. Oh. Mm. as a bit where she's kind of like losing her mind in her bed sit yeah there was a really nice touch to that as well like she was lying on her couch under this homemade blanket and you just got the idea that like before she got that job she would spend her evenings just knitting this blanket and sewing Mm -hmm. it together and yeah there was something really lonely about that blanket I don't know just Mm -hmm. the whole yeah yeah that was a nice touch. Mm, I, I must admit, I didn't pick up on the blanket, but it's an interesting point. Mm. Mm. But yeah. Anyway, after a bit of doom and gloomy, she just goes to hang out in the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> just basically her naked in a bathrobe, wandering around the apartment. I mean, fair play to her, but it's not her house. <laughs> no. Eating junk food, leaving like dishes everywhere. Just yeah, yeah. Part of me at this point did think, are the the family going to come home early and catch her? Yeah, I was kind of waiting for a confrontation, Mm -hmm. which doesn't happen. It's a very subtle sense of impending doom makes you worry about everything, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah, the 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 parents are aware they're at the grandmother's, and the dad is like obviously preoccupied with something. And eventually, the wife gets it out of him, and he's like, "I just can't deal deal with the gloomy, disappointed face of the nanny all the time." <laughs> yeah. Um, and he he's quite worried that the daughter is picking up her values, which. He doesn't really agree with. Mm-hmm. 
And it's kind of getting to that point where they're beginning to think about sacking the nanny. Yeah. Which is understandable because she's creepy. <laughs> she is. The, the way she's at their house at like four in the morning, just suddenly in the, in their kitchen, just, mm -hmm. do you want some coffee? Like, ah, no, no, no. Yeah, the wife walks out of the bedroom and sees her and is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I haven't even showered or like got dressed. And she's the just... sun's not even up yet. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. That's wrong. Um, yeah. So they return. They don't catch the nanny in the house, which I was a little bit disappointed by at this point. Because mm -hmm. I was just like, when when is that big explosion going to happen? When's the confrontation going to happen? Um, and things kind of go go back to normal. The parents are working. She's looking after the kids. And then the daughter is playing a shop game with her. <laughs> Just like, whoa. <laughs> Just what the hell? Just what the fuck? <laughs> This was difficult to watch. This was really difficult to watch. Um, like, oh. So the daughter is being the shopkeeper and the nanny is buying produce from the daughter, you know, like little plastic toys. Lovely little <coughs> game. Lovely little oh, game. Yeah. I mean, so many kids love to play shop. Um, and then... While they're playing, the nanny says, oh, I really need the bathroom. You think she's just going to go to the, ba the bathroom, go to the toilet? No. She, like, bullies the little girl by going, I really need to go now. I need your bathroom. She bullies the little girl to go and get a potty from the bathroom. <coughs> and then she squats over it in the living room and pees. While maintaining eye contact with the little girl. Oh. Christ on a bike. Well, nanny on a potty. I mean, what? Yeah. Then gets her to go get toilet roll. Oh, I forgot about this bit. Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. Then gets her to flush her pee down the toilet. Like, just no. The girl knows it's not right at that point as well. Like, I thought maybe, is she teaching the little kid how to potty train? Is this an example? Is this some weird nanny thing? No. It's none of that. It's just fucked up. It is really fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, like, uncomfortable, squirmy watching. You know, like, a cringy watching where you don't really want to be looking at the screen anymore, but you you have to because... Mm -hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. No. Oh, sorry, just reliving that is like, <laughs> too much for me. Oh, it's just, as this film goes on, there's like a line she keeps pushing forward, mm. pushing forward, and it just at this point you're like, I can't imagine what she's going to do next. Yeah, but this it's, is like a real sign of an abuser, isn't it? Just always pushing those boundaries just a little bit more, mm -hmm. taking a little bit more control, putting people in just gradually more and more risky situations. Mm -hmm. 
um, and it's just slowly building that, you know, level of normality keeps shifting yeah. into the dangerous realm. Yeah. Where the abuser has all the control. Where what's happened is so ridiculous when the little girl says, oh, yeah, the nanny used the potty today in the front room. The dad's like, you're so funny. Because who does that? And how mm. is that believable behaviour? Like, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, th- then comes a bit of a confrontation with the nanny. Not over the potty, as you say. The dad is just like, you know, whatever. <laughs> but the couple get a letter from the tax agency, the French tax collection agency for the government saying that the nanny has not been paying her taxes and they want to deduct her taxes from her pay so the couple end up paying it before paying the nanny Mm. um and to make up for all the back payments um this whole time the the mum is quite emotional about it like feeling how upset the nanny is because the nanny nanny starts showing her emotions at this point whereas the dad is very professional he is like this is a working relationship this is something for the government this is not appropriate that you have put us in this position as our employee Hmm. excuse me um uh, but the nanny kind of explains that she got herself in legal trouble after her husband's death and had a lot of custody issues with their children and lost the children and because of that had to pay a lot in lawyers fees and all this is kind of caught up with her and also how like her husband used to deal with everything and now yeah she couldn't deal with it um which is why the mum is so empathetic towards her yeah because she she can feel that emotion and therefore she is trying to give sympathy in return whereas the husband is very much you know this is an employer employee relationship i think as well the fact that the dad's life hasn't changed very much except he gets to spend more time with his wife whereas this wife has got her career back like she relies Mm -hmm. on this nanny for that Mm -hmm. so the importance for the nanny for the mum feels deeper than the importance that the dad has which may also explain some of their relationships like he's quite happy to keep it worky but the wife's like or the mum's like if we don't have the nanny I have to go back to work potentially I have to leave work again and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah which is why I think when the dad mentions like you know sacking the nanny the mum's always like oh you're being too harsh maybe give her like you know a bit more of a chance she's not that bad the kids mm-hmm. like her and he's like there's something off mm-hmm. there's something not right and he he is going with his gut instinct Well, the mum's kind of thinking about all the consequences. Yeah. As you said, the thought of her having to quit her job again. Yeah. Just as she seems to be getting more and more responsibility and bigger cases and yeah. she's really enjoying working. Yeah. And like although she she's working on evenings and a bit more tired for it, you can tell that she's enjoying having that sense of achievement again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the nanny after this tax confrontation then seems to have a bit of a nervous breakdown she's like crying while going home on the bus she starts 
hallucinating and the bed sits. That was a crazy scene. Mm. Didn't see that one come in. No. No. Yeah. They had they had thrown a few little squid related things in earlier. Mm. But um yeah, that was that was creepy. Suddenly it's like squid squiddy octopuses all over the bed set and she's hallucinating oh. and like trying is she trying to kill them or just shove them down the sink? I can't oh, she's losing her shit with a lamp like a lampshade, so yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. So the this professional professional relationship continues. Um and then the parents reveal that their son gets into nursery and she is heartbroken the thought that the son will not be with her all of the time and she gets depressed and like just she's on a downward spiral now yeah now her truth has been found out by the parents her mask of you know being a professional nanny starts slipping mm -hmm. and it's becoming more and more apparent that she has a lot of issues yeah. like yeah men mental issues um and she starts she starts doing weird thing like leaving the perfect chicken skeleton on the kitchen tables like she cooks a roast chicken and strips all the meat off of it and it just leaves this perfect skeleton yeah that's that takes some Serious focus skill there. That's mm -hmm. not that. Yeah. Yeah. And and the the mother is like, this is some weird passive aggressive stuff, like about my conversation with her about the children's food, and maybe it's you know a passive aggressive way of her saying, clean your plate. Mm -hmm. Um and you can tell the mum's quite freaked out when she finds it because she just like instantly has to like get rid of it. Um Yeah, it escalates quite quickly towards the end. Yeah. Um, and she starts kind of disconnecting with the children as well, like ignoring Adam and just seems out of it. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the crescendo of the ending of the film. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, in many ways, the ending is quite... I mean, admittedly, the film has been a slow burn throughout. You're, you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it, and when it happens, it's not with a bang, it's with a whisper. Yeah. And in some ways, it feels very anticlimactic because the nanny doesn't get her comeuppance mm. for what's happened. And the parents are just left with the horror of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to spoil the ending. Because yeah. to be fair, I, I didn't see it going down like that as no. I was watching it. No, I've literally um, just got what the fuck written in my notebook because it's not entirely clear, but you know what's no, happened. It, it's a bit ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that it's quite haunting. It's quite haunting that last scene where 
the dad is just stood next to his bike. Yeah. Because he still he still doesn't know exactly what has happened. Oh. But he knows nothing good has happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, at the end you're just kind of like, whoa. You yeah. know, it, it left me a bit breathless. Um because it's not what I was expecting. I mean, particularly after the confrontation over the the tax and the pay slips and stuff like that, I I thought it was just going to escalate into more confrontation, more arguments. Mm-hmm. Bang. Mm-hmm. She gets her comeuppance, but that is not what mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very haunting, mm-hmm. the ending. Yeah. 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 Oh, so I I did a thing before I watched, well, while I was watching this, because the whole creepy French Mary Poppins vibe, and I would recommend doing this if you ever watch this film, go onto YouTube or whatever and look up Mary Poppins in French and just listen to It's a Jolly Holiday with Mary dubbed in French. (laughs) It's dead cute and it'll just bring you back up again because you need something to bring you back up again after you've watched this. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I really like this film, but I... Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I used to work at an independent cinema in my early 20s and used to sit through a lot of independent particularly French films that have that uneasy vibe throughout them. Uh, there was a film called Cachet. Mm. I think the English title was Hidden. Yeah. They it had you know they had the slow burn. So I think I was I, like at the end I was like this is classic French cinema. Like they know how to do creepy well. Mm-hmm. They know how to set the plot up perfectly. And you know it's coming, but they still managed to. Yeah. The directors and writers still managed to catch you off guard, and it's very clever. Um, and it, it these these films do kind of stay with you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, all for Mary Poppins dubbed in French. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it um, it, it just helps afterwards um mm-hmm. just something a little bit um yeah so that was on iPlayer wasn't it yeah BBC yeah. iPlayer yeah I I mean honestly I think this is an excellent film I I think it's a difficult watch but it is excellent yeah um but sometimes you need a difficult watch just yeah. to kind of exercise your brain a bit so yeah yeah, to me, it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. Okay, good. Good. What? What's your review? Just good. Yeah, no, <laughs> no I, I enjoyed it. About it again. I enjoyed it. Like, as well, I'd looked up, I went to look up um, some of the information about where it had come from, so adapted by a novel um, of, a sim- I think, the same name in French. But there's another film called Lullaby out there that is like a, a horror film. Um, about I think some nanny who like tries to it brings up some ancient curse through a lullaby or something so I was like this isn't that film is it so a little bit of me was expecting when she brought out like the book of um, old wives tales or something so I was like 
Is this just a straight film or are we going into some kind of weird horror genre here? I don't know, but um, no. No, I did, I did the same and I was like, this isn't the slasher film. <laughs> um, yeah, and it does have an old... I mean, we in the UK, it is named Lullaby. In America, it seems to be called Perfect Nanny. Uh-huh. Um, in... In French, I'm going to try and pronounce this and mangle all this. I do apologise. It's Chanson Doucet. Um, Sorry, I did mangle that. Apologies. Um, So, yeah, it does seem to have many different titles. It was released in 2019. Mm. Um, And, yeah. Karen Villard, it plays the nanny, if that helps anyone find it. But it is on iPlayer. It's the only lullaby on iPlayer at the moment. Okay. I mean, part of me does kind of wish I'd watched a cheesy slasher film because it would have stayed with me a lot less longer. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been able to shrug off that, like, horribleness. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So after I picked Lullaby, you picked a film called Youth and Revolt, yes. which we're going to talk about next. But I'm going to say I was very excited when you picked this because I remember when it came out in uh, 2010, quite enjoying it. And it was good comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as we get into this, that's not where it's going to yeah. take us. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, same as you. I hadn't seen this film for a long time so what 12 years or something Mm -hmm. and I remember enjoying it like thinking it was a great film this film has not aged well oh it has aged so badly oh my gosh um I mean I'm just gonna look up the the blurb because the one in IMDB seems wrong yeah what does it say well there's trailer trash parents teacher on the edge of divorce yeah, it's see, mm. this blurb is wrong because his parents are divorced when it starts. Yeah, so, there's no teeter uh, in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nick Twist sets his sights on dream girl Sheenie Saunders, hoping that she'll be the one to take away his virginity. And the tagline on the actual film itself is, uh, he wasn't a rebel until he found his cause. Well, so the the Wikipedia blurb says the film follows a shy and lonely teenager, Nick, desperate to lose his virginity. While on a trailer park holiday with his mother and her boyfriend, he meets an attractive girl and is immediately smitting. Then the two are se- when the two are separated, Nick must learn how to rebel in order to be with the girl he loves. Yeah. Which I feel is a much more accurate blurb yeah. than IMDb. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I think IMDb had the year wrong as well because it's 2010, not 2009. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's on Plex. If despite what we say about this film, anybody does want to watch it again. <laughs> I mean, to give it credit, it has a cast of a million. Oh, yeah. Like, as Michael Sarah, Portia Doubleday, Gene Smart, Steve Buscemi, Ridley Lotta, Zach Geffenefis, which I think <laughs> I always pronounce wrong. Apologies. You know, you will watch this film and recognise everyone. Like, Justin Long yeah. turns up later on. Yeah. It has a stellar cast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. It's um, based on the journals of Nick Twist, but by C.D. Payne. Um, 
Yeah. So we open with, I've done it again. I've picked a film that starts with something completely blue. He's just having a wank. (laughs) (laughs) And we get introduced to who Nick Twisp is. So he's a classic nerd. You know, he reads classic novels. He's listening to Sinatra. And he is obsessed with losing his virginity. Um, Mm -hmm. You slowly get introduced to uh, his mum and the boyfriend. um, And they make a very big point of everyone being quirky everyone in this film is quirky Mm -hmm. there is no opportunity for someone who isn't quirky um and everyone is fucking basically everyone except nick and his best friend who is obsessed with uh some girl um who is mentioned Mm -hmm. later in the film um yeah it's i would call this film from the start penis penis centric basically Yeah, it is. It and is. It yeah. does seem to be written by, you know, sex obsessed, pretentious, just cinephiles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the source material is also like this, but you know, these are, this is not how teenagers really speak. Um, you know, teenagers generally are not really in Sinatra or. I mean, as we get into it, like French cinema and, you know, these teenagers seem to be from a different era. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I think the main thing about this film that is not aged well is the fact that I don't think this genre of um, people was defined yet, but Nick goes into a, rec- into a I don't know, a blockbuster video or something. He's looking at a film. I can't remember which film he's got in his hand, but it's something classic noir mm-hmm. film. Uh, sees a girl that he knows from class who doesn't recognize him. And she kind of fubs him off and her boyfriend runs along. And he starts with the whole, I'm a nice guy. Why do all the nice guys not win? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, this is an incel film. This is a film written by incels. He's a virgin and it's everyone else's fault. It's nothing to do with the fact that he's shy and a bit nerdy and just hasn't met the right person yet. No. Or doesn't know how to really speak to, you know, people of the opposite sex. Yeah. It's the whole world is against him and it is not his fault. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... So he, uh, yeah, you've got to you've got to be an asshole to to poor women. That's his uh, immediate thought. Um, yeah, which goes into that whole kind of alpha male, beta, beta male, whatever's mm-hmm. higher than alpha male bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, this really, the idea of toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah, and that's what all women want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, there's, uh, yeah, similar to Booksmart, there's a lot of weird animations in this as well. Yeah, I really appreciated the claymation intro. I, mm. I thought it was quite fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it fits with the rest of the film, but. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh... um... yeah, strange. It's oh. bright and colourful and. You know, just a bit fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nick, our lead, played by Michael Sarah, is living with his mum and her boyfriend. 
boyfriend also is just a different variant of toxic masculinity. He's oh, yeah. very much like the con artist, heavy yeah. drinker, um, sees the mum as a sex object. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, I mean, there's really, well, there's maybe one like, maybe one or two likeable male characters in this. Um, yeah. But most of them are not likable. Mm -hmm. The the boyfriend sells a lemon of a car to some sailors, um, some guys in the navy. They come to get their money back after the car dies on them. And the boyfriend, instead of dealing with the situation, makes the mum and Nick run away to a holiday to a holiday home, and it is like a trailer in a yeah. trailer park the restless uh, axles trailer park um so yeah. another another little nod there to the theme of this whole film um <clears throat> we have a lovely little scene where they are in this beautiful trailer and the mum's boyfriend is literally sucking down a beer he make like zach galfanakis yeah he uh literally sucks down a beer and then kind of announces that he's gonna go and Fuck the mum in the uh, in the other end of the trailer. I don't know how trailers work. Um, <laughs> I and think this there might be where... a, a bedroom in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is where the the mum Nick makes a bit of a quip about him being real dad material there, like a a good role model. And the mum openly speaks of her fear of being old and alone. That. Mm -hmm. She's just with him because she's older and she doesn't have any money and this is what she needs. So it, mm -hmm. there's this vibe of everyone has to be in a couple. Again, like she couldn't just she couldn't just be on her own. She needs to have a man there. Um, I, I feel Jean Smart, who plays the mother, is yeah. an amazing actress. Oh, yeah. I, I believe she uh, has the most Emmy nominations of all time from everyone because she is an amazing comedic actress. Mm. Um she she was in she's in a comedy drama with um Anna Ferris called Mom that she was nominated for. She's now doing a series I think on Amazon not free apologies mm -hmm. called Hacks where she plays an aging comedian kind of John Riversy based in Vegas and she's like older and trying to find her voice again and make a comedy relevant and she is excellent in it and when she turned up in this I was like I forgot she was in it she's amazing mm. and then they just massively underutilize her oh, yeah. she is just like the victim yeah all the, all these men just keep she needs a man for the money all these men keep losing her she is just such a sad depressing character with such low self-esteem and it yeah. I'm so irritated that they have this amazing actress who can play confident and smart and witty and she's just a bit sad in this and I was yeah. like oh yeah yeah whole thing but um, yeah so yeah then it is it is but yeah, it it is a fun character though, in a way as well. Mm. 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 
But yeah, it ties into this whole penis centric theme where you need you need a man to get on in life, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nick goes off to use the showers, and the first girl that speaks to him is Sheeny, and he instantly mm-hmm. falls in love with her. Instantly falls in love with her. Um, she um, ends up talking to the mum outside the trailer. And the mum's like, oh, go and go and walk her shopping home for her or whatever. And so they spend some time together. And more quirk. Look at this. She's the perfect guy for Nick. She's into French film. Um, she dreams of going to France. They're listening to some pretentious music. Um, then she takes them for a little date to the beach. And uh, she knows what she's doing. She's, she's yeah. seducing him openly. In the beginning, she is very confident, independent, in control. She's very, you know, well-formed. I mean, you know, that classic, you know, women are more mature than men stereotype. She is written to be like a 20-something-year-old who knows her own mind with this idiot boy. Yeah. No. (laughs) It's And that's, I found that... um, I found that a bit annoying because so she's telling Nick about the, the boyfriend that she has and he makes up this girlfriend to try and like counteract like no 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 it's cool it's cool but I was at camp one time and now I have a girlfriend that I write you know that yeah that's realistic trope. like I don't know what anyone else is doing at 16 and 17 but I did not have a boyfriend that was like yeah, writing. Well, okay, he did write poetry, but he was writing death metal poetry, not some kind of high discussive <laughs> whatever stuff. And and a girl at this age, I don't know any women who were or girls at sixteen or seventeen who were in Nice studying immigration assimilation issues with Italian workers. Like, it, no, it's so we were drinking cider in a park. Like, no, it's it's so unrealistic and so pretentious. Um. And they bring the, their journals everywhere. They bring their journals everywhere with them. Oh, <laughs> I know. I just, it, it, it's a bit painful because the characters, the, these teenage characters, are just not realistic at all. No, no. I mean, they they go for a little hike, and yeah, it, what's realistic about that is like, she's going for a hike. He's like, she's like, you can't come. You don't have anything with you. He's like, no, no, it's fine. I can come. The enthusiasm is there of a 16 year old um but he has his journal and she's mocking the fact that he's a virgin and mm-hmm. and then he tells her that he loves her immediately it's just uh, yeah i mean it's cringy in another way than lullaby was to be fair yeah <laughs> yeah i just i i just feel so uncomfortable watching them i mean it's so pretentious mm. um so they have this this little romance. Um, they make out a bit, whatever, and um, then he has to leave the trailer park because um, reasons. I think they have to. They they just have to leave. Their little holiday is over. Um, mm-hmm. He buys her a dog. I mean, come on. Albert, is it Albert, Albert the dog? It is Albert. Albert. She's obsessed with French things. Yeah. Um, 
buy me a dog. Yeah. And she's more <laughs> obsessed with the dog than she is him. Yeah. Which I felt was a very realistic teenage thing. Yeah. 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 So there are notes of it like the sentiment is there. It's the it's the surrounding dialogue and factual information that seems a bit <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That- I mean, as he's leaving, they they have that conversation in the diner, mm. and she's like, "You are not for me. You are not the person I want. You are, you know, not mature enough, too insecure, don't really know who you are as a yeah. person." Yeah. And you know, she has all these goals, and yeah. she doesn't want him. She's just like, "You are not the one for me." I think it's just so desperate. He's like, "I can change." everything yeah. about myself to be what you want yeah um well, which is so th- awkward there's a line that he says i can't stand the thought of you falling in love with some egotistical poet while i'm gone like i i love you or i 16 year old love you um i don't want you to fall in love with anyone else i want this i'm jealous i don't trust you that's the kind of thing like that oh it's yeah. some possessive toxic bullshit yeah um yeah yeah i mean it does it feels desperately adolescent and it feels like when you are that age like that memory of like you hurtle into things you feel everything so deeply like that felt Mm -hmm. real that drama and i suppose this is the only kind of situation you could have a story this insanely ridiculous because it's adolescence but yeah mm-hmm. it's all the pretense around it and the the fluff that makes no sense the the intellectual maturity on one sense with their tastes and their cultural values or whatever mm-hmm. that yeah 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 i think it is that horrible trope stereotype expectation that you know your first love will be forever Mm-hmm. And it has to be special and last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because you love someone, you will you will do whatever it takes to make it work. Yeah. When actually, as you get older, you realise that you need someone who's going to support you and be there for you, but you don't have to like exactly the same things, and you recognize and appreciate each other's differences and mm-hmm. you know as some kind of yin and yang whereas i think as teenagers it's like we have to be exactly the same yeah i yeah. have to meet all your expectations and it's just so hideous a mindset to have because you're setting yourself up to fail and you get yourself in a lot of horrible awkward toxic situations yeah as as you get older you're like why why did i do that why did i change my whole personality for this person Mm. why why did i feel losing my virginity was so important why you know with age comes perspective yeah and you recognize all these you know toxic gaslighting gatekeeping behaviors that you experienced when you were younger and you're just like why can't i just be me and find someone who likes me for me yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 
And I think that's a massive thing in this film. Why is he mm -hmm. having to change just because, okay, so he's, yeah, he's lusting after this girl who's mm -hmm. paid him some attention and that's all he wanted. Yeah. 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 So he then he then forms a plan for them to be together permanent permanently by kind of manipulating a pile of situations so he can move to where she lives. Yeah. And he creates this alter ego, but I'm actually not sure if it's an alter, alter ego or a split personality at this point. Mm -hmm. Old Francois Dillinger, who is the bad boy, you know, that stereotypical textbook teenage delinquent, and it's just such... Like, part of me at this point does wonder if, if it was just trying to be a parody, if the whole film is just meant to be a parody of, you know, teenage love. Mm. Um, but it, it doesn't play out that way. No. Mm. No, no. Um, yeah, so they get back to... Um the their original house and there is a car in the front room the car that wasn't fixed the naval guys returned it piece by piece and rebuilt it in their front um front room which was quite cute quite funny um <laughs> it was genius yeah <laughs> good it was good um this somehow does um cause jerry to have a heart attack though unfortunately he uh he dies, so no more Zach. By Zach By Zach. Um, turns out he every was time, married. <laughs> every time we can't pronounce Zach Galifianakis because his name properly, take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. So um, one man dies. He was married. All the stuff that. Um, Nick's mum thought she might be getting from that um, actually goes to Jerry's wife that she didn't know existed. So, mm. disappointment. But, hi Ray Liotta or hi Officer <laughs> West who immediately immediately starts comforting the mum and the mum accepts mm -hmm. that comfort quite willingly and very quickly. Um, but yes, this is where um, Francois kind of comes into his own that they have to start doing bad things so that they can get thrown out and um, go back to the trailer park with the dad and continue the romance. Francois is the perfect arsehole. That I enjoy yeah. the character so much because everyone in this film is a bit of an arsehole, but he is just the perfect asshole. I he's, mean, he's kind of like a Bond villain, you know, that stereotypical foreign villain oh. that you get in the films. And his dialogue, I've written down so many things he said. Like the first thing I'd be, I'd be super pissed about as the mum. Yeah, go around and do some stupid things while the mum is in this really vulnerable state. Go throw her, her jewelry down the toilet. That's annoying. Cutting up all her bras, however, that's a mm. line. That's a freaking line to cross. But um. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's a. Uh, th there's a look to Francois as well, where he just he looks constantly stoned and uh, doesn't give a shit, like the devil on the shoulder, kind of meh, meh. Mm. Um, and the line, um, oh yeah, so they escalate things. 
because just cutting up jewelry and um, bras and stuff wasn't enough. Uh, they take the Lincoln and the trailer that Jerry had bought from the trailer park um, on a little on a little ride, and um, Nick is freaking out that is this too much? And Francois, just be quiet and let me blow some shit up. Brilliant, mm. brilliant. <laughs> we have. Um, he causes like five million dollars worth of damage blowing up this trailer by it going into a coffee shop and then the Lincoln rolling into it, causing the explosion. So wiping out the Lincoln, the trailer and the coffee shop all in one go. Yeah. And while he's watching this, he's watching the trailer roll down the hill and then, oh, oh, no, the Lincoln's going to follow it full of fuel. Francois just goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny. And to note as well that they have just um, spray painted God's perfect arsehole on the side of that trailer as well, which was a nice little touch. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So that all happens. And he gets back to his mum's house and Officer West is there with the mum. And it was enough palaver for um, him to be sent away. But not before Officer West belt whips. Our, our um poor Nick, but Nick steps aside and Francois takes the whipping for him. It, it mm -hmm. just that was one of the weirdest things I've ever ever seen. Just who belt whips a seventeen year old? I mean, uh, I th I think that's that's more of a statement to show how not nice guy the officer is. Yeah. Um, how like he's quite controlling and you know has that corporal punishment um respect your elders mentality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um but he's doing he's doing nick a favor by covering up the whole the whole affair um and probably just to keep his hands on the mum for a bit and just to have that hanging over her head that mm. carry on sleeping with me mum uh yeah <laughs> i'm right. covering for your son yeah exactly yeah mm -hmm. So yes, then he um, Nick's little plan works. He gets to go back to the trailer park. His dad somehow got a job out there because Sheenie helped organize it. Um, mm -hmm. And as soon as he gets to the trailer park, he discovers Sheenie's run off to a French boarding school with her fabulous boyfriend Trent. Yes, because Sheenie's parents are very um, religious and have traditional values, and they. I mean, this is old school because they're on a landline talking when Nick's telling her what happened with the trailer and stuff and how he has to get out of town to... It calms down and stuff. And Sheenie's mum is on another phone on the extension listening in on the conversation. It's like, well, I don't want my daughter here when he comes and sends her off to this French boarding school. Mm -hmm. um, and this is this is a good thing for Sheeny. This is what she wants. She she always wanted to go to this French boarding school. She explicitly says, like, I manipulated the situation to get what I want because she eventually wants to go and study in Paris and live in Paris. Yeah. And she has a plan and this is something to help her achieve her goals. Yeah. But but Nick's like, oh no, why are you not with me? Yeah. How dare you leave me and go and fulfill your dreams? Yeah. Yeah. There's not a thought to, I could just visit her at school. No. No. It's, I have to get her back. It's immediately. 
Oh, controlling and shitty. I mean, yeah, I do. I I hate to say this, but I think this is the stereotype that women have to sacrifice their goals and dreams for a man mm. or for their partner, mm. whereas the man doesn't need to sacrifice anything. He should have that supportive girlfriend, wife, yeah. you know, who supports their dreams. It like it can't be. Both of them helping each other to succeed. Like one has to make the sacrifice, and stereotypically, it is the woman, the girl in the relationship that has to make that sacrifice. And oddly enough, I don't think we ever find out what Nick wants out of life. Like we're literally just following his dick for an hour and a half. We don't know anything about the future. He just wants to lose his virginity and have his underwear. Yeah. She's just like, I have a clear plan of where my life is going. Yeah. This is what I want to do. This yeah. is what I want to achieve. And he's just like, well, I'm going to fuck that all up just so I can, you know, yeah. lose my virginity. Yeah. And, yeah. <sighs> and all, although this is written like, you know, these teenagers are 20-somethings, um, I do, I do think... Maybe this underlying element that boys are just obsessed with their penises and girls are obsessed with achieving something and having goals in life and True. how, you know, they're not mature enough to enable, you know, people aren't mature enough to enable people to understand the future yet. Mm. Um, maybe it is a commentary on real life toxic teenage relationships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um although you know this film is quite unrealistic maybe <laughs> that isn't that is an underlying realistic theme that can be taken out of it oh do you know i said that but i do think he mentions that he wants to be a writer or something like that well, uh, yay <laughs> uh, you know why? Why is he not doing like writing classes or becoming obsessed with going to writers retreats? So, yeah. which colleges have the best writers graduate? Not he should be obsessed with this, not his PP. His PP. <laughs> he's not. He's not not mature enough to like no. have it be called a penis. It's a PP. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like. Yeah. Oh. Like, yeah he's um started a new school obviously in like the trailer park area i can't remember what the area is called now um yeah oh, whatever um and he makes a new friend um who is played by adir kalyan uh vj the intellectual asian guy english asian guy um mm-hmm. And immediately is like, oh, you knew Sheenie, you're her boyfriend, I'm really surprised. She's gone mm-hmm. to this and this school, I know all this stuff about the fact she's with a potentially loose roommate. Let's go visit them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. we, uh, they take um, Vijay's um, grandma's car, go for a little drive over to this French school uh, where everyone only speaks French. Um, but um, 
VJ is incredibly clever, uh, speaks, I don't know how many languages, but French is one of them, so that's quite useful. He can read mm-hmm. the letters from Sheeny to um, Nick. I mean, VJ seems like a nice guy, except he's facilitating Nick's, yeah. you know, selfish yeah. assholiness. Yeah. Um, I did like VJ's character. Yeah. I felt like, yeah. you know, he he very much is a teenage boy and still obsessed with losing his virginity, but there is more about him. There is, yeah, there is more to him. He's a, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he's maybe one of the not hateable characters in this, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they have another weird little montage animation, drive across the, uh, to this school, the mm-hmm. Le Caldazar, and uh, they see Sheeny. Sheeny is happier to see the dog than she is to see Nick. That yes. Yep. That was really cute. <laughs> Um, and then the roommate, whose name I've forgotten, um, is um, very much seduced by the fact that VJ can speak French poetry that she knows something about. And mm-hmm. is like, yeah, let's bang. We'll sneak you into the room. Um, yeah, I mean, her, her roommate um, is more of a pursuer than the pursued. Yeah. Which, you know, is yeah. nice Good to have you, like confident teenage characters yeah um and vj doesn't like pressure her or like have to manipulate her he just seems like he's being his genuine self and he gets the girl yeah which is really nice to see someone just being accepted for who they are yeah (laughs) and and having a relationship rather than you know various levels of manipulation and uh, like emotional abuse and yeah deception yeah so that is really nice yeah that's a good point yeah it is mm-hmm. um those two are we will not will not slag them off they were doing all right no. um mm, i don't know what the age of consent is in america but it did bother me a bit that we're all just wandering around in our pants um at the age of 16 mm. I, I think it's it's different it, but I think generally it is averaging out about 18. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is all a bunch of minors doing this. Um mm-hmm. they they go to quite quite not severe lengths, but they're they're careful about sneaking these lads in to the mm-hmm. room. And then suddenly Nick's just toddled off to the bathroom and um meets this girl in there who's throwing up. Um oh what's her name again? Uh, Bernice Bernice that's it he meets Bernice in the toilets now you spent that long sneaking in to see your girlfriend that you just wandered the corridors and wandered into the girls toilets while someone was Mm -hmm. in a cubicle Nick is that what you really did Mm -hmm. that that annoyed me that felt like a little a little glitch in the story there that whole exchange is so manipulative Mm. (laughs) he he just like it's like oh I can totally use you to my advantage and basically prefaces it by slagging her off with he's nagging her yeah and then flips it nagging her to make Trent the love rival look bad and then pays her loads of compliments to try and get her on his side yeah so it's like I'm gonna make you feel shit and then try and lift you up so you can do my bidding. Yeah. Um, Dick. Yeah, horrible. Like, really mean. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, so he does sneak back into the room and uh, VJ and the roommate are just at it. Just mm hanging -hmm. away there on the top bunk. And Francois takes over. Um, so instead of Nick sleeping on the floor in his little sleeping bag, Francois's like, no, mate. Nah. The filth that comes out of Francois's mouth when he's trying <gasps> to do Fini. I had to write this line down because it made me laugh so hard. Oh, I want to know if you've written down the same line as me. I have one here. I want to wrap your legs around my head and wear you like the crown that you are. Oh, my God. Oh, interesting. Oh, my God. This is not, this is not the line I wrote down from this scene. The line I wrote down was, I want to tickle your belly button from the inside. And I was like, <laughs> disgusting. Just being sick in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, Francois. Okay. But it's 16. I don't know. I don't know about that. That's that's fucking crazy. Also, VJ and the roommate are still shagging away up there at 16. Like, but, I mean, the desperation okay. yeah. is just coming through, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But before anything mad can happen, um, Bernice has told one of the um, teachers that there's boys in the room and we have quite a fun little running away in their pants um, scene, jumping in the car, taking the dog, getting out of that situation. Um, and they call on uh, Nick's old neighbour um, to come and rescue them by playing off the fact that Vijay's Indian and can pretend he's a refugee seeking shelter. Um, and so, yeah, Mr. Ferguson comes along and saves them. And there's a cute little scene before they get back to the house where they're both just in their pants and Mr. Ferguson mm -hmm. has taken his shirt off to be in solidarity with the poor, the poor refugee who's in his, just in his pants. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, th this was actually set up beautifully from the beginning, but he mm. talks about his neighbour who um, helps refugees and immigrants into the country by giving them a place to live and keeping them safe mm -hmm. so nick is totally playing on on this nice guy's yeah. you know causes and concerns and yeah. you know his his sense of civic duty yeah and mr ferguson's so lovely he's yeah, played he by fred willard yeah. and um he's such a nice guy one of the few likable characters in this mm -hmm. film and i'm like oh yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, Fred. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we we meet. Um, oh, yeah. So th that all happens. Everything's fine. Um, they're at the dad's house and the dad's having an argument with the girlfriend and it's all a bit awkward, but whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And then we meet uh, Sheenie's older brother, Paul, Justin Long. Mm -hmm. Another quirky person. Everyone's quirky. Everyone's oh. quirky. He's just getting high, and for some reason, he always has a little trumpet with him. What? Why? Why? Mm -hmm. Why do you always have a trumpet, Justin? Uh, talking about people's characters in their past lives, and yeah, yeah, yeah just brought yeah. his brain with hallucinogens. Yeah, uh. yeah, and um, he finds out that sadly, despite 
they're uh, being caught with boys in the room, Sheeny didn't get expelled. So he didn't kill her future and she won't be coming back to the trailer park. So he's got to find another way to kill her future. Um, mm-hmm. So he gets Benice to help with a new plan. Yeah. Which he writes her a letter and manipulates her some more. It's just Can you drug her, please? Please give yeah. this girl drugs. Please root she... the girl that I love so that she, she... failed school. You absolute dickhead. Yeah. If she if she can't stay awake, then she can't study and do well at school and she'll get kicked out. Like literally oh, illegally sabotaging her future now. Yeah. Like when he turns up at the school to try and sabotage it, at least she has like the choice not to let him in the school and not let him stay in her room. She has some choices there. But the fact he's then, you know, writing to Bernice at the school going, drug her for me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And Bernice does it. Oh, Bernice. Oh, you poor woman. Oh, because mm. she's in love with Nick. She's She's suddenly fallen in love with this guy who is paying her some attention and being nice to her. Oh, Bernice. Oh, Bernice. Yeah, but I, th- I feel like this is another teenage trope is that girls just fall in love with any guy that pays attention to them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And really, I hope, I really hope that girls aren't like that now, that they have some self-esteem and aren't just looking for Mr. Right there. Yeah. Um, that they're actually thinking like, is this person going to support me, you know, yeah. with my with my studies, with my family, with my interests, with yeah. my hopes for the future, are they yeah. actually benefiting my life, not just do they make me feel pretty? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does he listen to anything you say, hon? Does he know anything about yeah. you? Does he yeah. care about your interests and your other relationships? And will yeah. he you know, lift you up to be the person that you want to be, not hold you back to be as, you know, immature and petty and stupid as he is, which is exactly what Nick is doing pretty much to Bernice and Sheenie. Yeah. Yeah. That's one's more compliant than the other. Mm. And the one that's not compliant, he's drugging now. So... And then we have a, a weird little scene um, where um, the brother, Paul, Sheenie's brother, Paul, um, is doing mushrooms in the dad's house. Um, and everyone does a bunch of mushrooms. Um, Francois makes uh, Nick take more than the recommended dosage. They have a weird little animation thing with, uh, yeah, I won't kill that for you. Um but at the end of it, the dad comes home and kills the vibe, and uh, the girlfriend runs off with uh, the dad. The, the Justin Long's runs, character. Justin Long. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel sorry for the dad. <coughs> yeah. Because, I mean, although he's arguing with the girlfriend and stuff, he has been manipulated to move to this yeah. place for a job he's not particularly qualified for. Yeah. Um, it's put pressure on his new relationship with the girlfriend. Yeah. His son is just this chaotic character who keeps bringing trouble to his door. Yeah. Um, 
who like, also hasn't gone there to spend time with his dad and at the mercy of his mum, who now won't be getting the same child support payments. Like, the, mm-hmm. the, Nick, the more you think about this character, the more of a dick he is. It's I mean, just... there there is a later scene where Nick's talking to his mum and the way he speaks to her is just so horrible. Yeah. And he's just, he says to her, romances don't seem to be your calling. And I'm like, either is it yours? You're both having horrible relationships. Mm-hmm. Is it? Like, she's the victim, and you're the abuser in yours. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this film. Holy fuck, Ooh. this film. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, then it all kind of comes to a head, because Officer West has left the mum. Uh, so, mm-hmm. he's no longer covering for Nick, and the police are now on his on his back uh they're going to come and get him he's going to get arrested for all this damage that he's done and nick's first response isn't oh i better get out of here it's i want to go see sheeny and Mm -hmm. francois is the only voice of reason in this scene where he's just like is this bitch worth going to jail for no she's not Mm -hmm. none of this is worth going none of this was a point of doing anything no nick but still he um he decides to go back to Sheeny, just to take a little chance. And we have more um, more doping going on, more uh, more roofing, because uh, Nick gives his parents mushrooms and they have no idea that mm-hmm. they've been drugged again. So, yeah, this is fun. More more drugging going on. My mm-hmm. God. Is this Sheeny's brother gives them mushrooms, gives his parents mushrooms? Yeah. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <sighs> <laughs> yeah a lot of uh, yeah you you start kind of tearing your hair out with this because it just keeps getting worse and worse mm. instead of someone calling nick on his bullshit and him getting his comeuppance he just keeps getting away with worse and worse yeah behavior yeah um and you know the i mean i don't i was about to say maybe some strong parenting would would have controlled him but then Sheeny has like quite you know responsible parents although a bit strict Mm -hmm. and she's still you know causing chaos um I think it's just the epitome of selfish teenagers Mm -hmm. and until they realize you know this is not how you should treat people this is not how you should talk to others. This is not, this behavior is not healthy for you. They won't change regardless of, regardless of the voices of reason that they have around them. So Nick doesn't have any voices of reason. So he's completely off the rails. Mm. Jeannie, on the other hand, her parents are quite responsible and engaged. Um, So like they are trying to steer her in the right direction, but Nick keeps derailing that yeah yeah which is even even worse because he's destroying her relationships with her family yeah not just destroying her plans for the future it's really isolating her from the people that she loves and ultimately a sign of abuse yeah (laughs) yeah so oh 
then then there's this this little nugget of maybe maybe everything will get like has come up and maybe um he's at this thanksgiving dinner in the in the trailer with sheeny's drugged up family mm-hmm. and trent appears and trent is very much a ralph loren yeah. kind of dressed looking straight boy um preppy boy preppy boy is ultimately doing the right thing he's found out what nick has done he's found out that he's been manipulating benice and drugging sheeny and nick is kind of caught sheeny's disappointed well of course you would be you got me expelled you absolute dickhead but mm-hmm. yeah so he runs off he goes back to tries to go back to his dad's house to get his dad to help him now why would his dad help him at this point you would think oh dad would do anything for the kid but the kid they don't have a good relationship. This is all a mess. No. But Mr. Ferguson, once again, always on the side of a refugee, throws him the car keys. He's trying to drive off. And once again, oh, all Nick wants to do is go back to Sheenie and explain why he did it. Mm. Um, and he's, yeah, Nick decides he can dress up as a girl. He can call himself Carlotta. He can sneak out that way. And once again, a beautiful line from Francois, once he's like persuaded him, give me 25 cents, Carlotta. Francois goes and makes a phone call to the police um, mm-hmm. and uh, tells the police to meet them at a certain place. They have a very fun little scene with. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the few points in the film where I actually laughed because it is so stupid. And I drive that car off the edge of a cliff and pretend like. I've just killed myself. Uh, no, mm-hmm. no, uh, doesn't happen that way. But somehow there is still a chance for Nick to run off to a a store and buy some women's clothes and a wig and appear at the trailer as uh, Benice. I'm not saying uh, as Carlotta. As yeah. Carlotta, sorry, too too many. Yeah, mm. as Carlotta. Um, and somehow, somehow Sheenie's okay. Because you did it all for me. Oh, you did all these things for me. Oh, you drugged me because you loved me. Well, of course. Fuck that noise. Honestly. But he gets his end away. He finally loses his virginity. I'm so angry with Sheeny at this point. Yeah. Because, as I said before, she starts the film as being confident, independent, in control, knowing her own mind. And he's totally skewed her mindset into you know oh you did all this to get me he did all these horrible destructive toxic abusive manipulative illegal things to fuck up your life that is not love that is not love no and you know i i understand that she wants like this confident French aloof boyfriend but you know there's nothing wrong with a bit of role play that doesn't need to be your day-to-day life no right he didn't even learn any French he didn't even make the the effort (laughs) to learn a wee bit of French he went to a school where you're not allowed to speak any English and insisted it's so fucking American insisted on speaking American like he doesn't even watch any of these French films she talks about or like absolute knob end absolute knob end Um, and at the end Sheeny has become the victim mm. she's just become the abused girlfriend yeah 
and there's a destroyed all his self-worth yeah there's a line at the end of that film like yeah he's dragged away but trent appears again tries to fight him understandably um Mm -hmm. yeah um he's dragged out by the cops in a dress and goes he's just going to go to juvie though it's fine you can like manipulate a young woman you can set a five million dollar fire and burn up half of a small shopping district in Berkeley. you can drug a young woman and manipulate another one but you'll just go to juvie for a couple months it's fine so there's no consequences and his final thought is kind of like oh actually it was fine being me I didn't need Francois Everything was fine. I just needed to be myself. You know what, Nick? You're an asshole. You're an asshole. And I hope someone hurt you in prison. I know you're a fictional character, but my God. Mm. My God. I literally wrote something the other night. Like, I don't know much about healthy relationship behavior, but none of this is it. None of this is it. I mean, we, we all try and navigate our relationships the best we can and as you get older you recognize you know unhealthy things and good things and so on and so forth but there was nothing good there no no absolutely nothing good there to try and even start form a foundation to the relationship no and even the francois character even though he's created or he appears because he's supposed to help Sheeny help him get to Sheeny a lot of his mm-hmm. advice towards the end is like fuck that girl look at look after yourself he is actively pushing him away from Sheeny yeah but the alter ego is like yeah this isn't right yeah. this isn't right like you don't even know who you are yet yeah you're not even looking after yourself you're just so goal oriented that you were messing everything up for yourself as yeah. well as Sheenie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Francois is the best character in that film. Just, mm. yeah. Mr. Ferguson and maybe the, yeah. the friend. But yeah. yeah. So, so, oh. so, yeah, there's two good male characters in this and one fictional entertaining self-serving one to be there it's very self-serving but at least he is kind of he starts off as the devil on the shoulder and then becomes the voice of reason yeah because nick's actual behavior is that fucking insane (laughs) that someone Mm. who orchestrates a fire still has more emotional maturity than yeah 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 wow Wow. <laughs> Sorry, Sharon's left in my face right now. It's um, just so deflated that I was like a little bit annoyed at myself that, you know, as we say, you live and you learn that 13 years ago, I thought this was a good film. Yeah. Like, obviously, you know, 13 years worth of experience. Um, has educated me about good relationships healthy relationships a lot more than 13 years ago and I think there is a difference like I would have passively watched this film before this time I've actually watched it and paid attention I'm like oh Mm. oh oh I've I've got issues yeah yeah I think like you know 
kind of early 2000s, 2010s, this kind of American Pie-esque comedy where boys are obsessed with losing virginity and will do anything mm. was, was like a genre within itself. American Pie is very slapsticky. This is very like pretentious and lofty, but still, you know, teenage boy looking to lose his virginity genre. Um, and back then the humour was different. People would go, oh, I'll go see a comedy and have a giggle. And you wouldn't actually think about things in depth. You'd just mm. have those like slapsticky comedy moments and well, as you say, watch it very passively. Mm. Whereas, you know, with the power of the internet and people trying to help other people avoid toxic and abusive relationships, the the frame that you watch it in has completely changed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you live, you learn, you try not to repeat the same mistakes in your own life. And also that applies to the films you watch. You try not to watch those films that are going to be obnoxious, offensive, um, triggering in some cases. Mm -hmm. And I feel like anyone that has been in an abusive relationship, you know, it's very different levels of abuse, emotional, physical, um, financial so on would be triggered by this film yeah yeah because it is just like a baby abuser <laughs> yeah yeah like literally no matter what Sheeny does the dick still manages to drag her down like mm. what the actual oh yeah no. and I would like to think that we live in a site where people are looking for relationships that lift them up yeah um and yeah, and we expect more from boys and men now. Mm. Um, you know, to be to have genuine friendships with and relationships with and um respect with. And I hope I hope this genre of film has kind of died to death, to be honest, because it yeah. it does make teenage girls feel like they are just objects to be admired mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know sexual objects and they're not they're mm -hmm. human beings that mm -hmm. have real emotions and personality hopes dreams relationships like they're a whole package they're not just mm. yeah yeah yeah. It's really like it's sad in a way. And it made me yeah. made me quite up well upset and angry and infuriated and all these things. It's just it's a bad film. It is a bad film. <laughs> it's a bad film. It, it's really bad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but like, I mean as we both said, we were quite excited to watch it again because when we watched yeah. it originally, we thought it was funny and we were like, oh, it'd be nice to have a light-hearted one. And even you and me during the last two weeks, mm -hmm. um, apologies to everyone for the delay in 
getting this podcast out. Me and Sharon had a lot of life stuff that meant yeah. that we couldn't coordinate. Yeah. Um, but in the last couple of weeks, we've been messaging, going, oh, we're going to need a bad film to talk about. And and then even this week, you were like, oh, we need a bad film. And I, I suggested one that I turned off halfway through, but mentioned that I, d- I didn't think this has aged well after I rewatched it. And then you messaged me going, I don't think we need that bad film. I have things to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pages of notes. Pages of angry notes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh. It, it's really bad. If I mean, in the slim chance any teenage girls are listening to this, like, I hope they're not. We have an adult... Uh, warning on all our podcasts Um, Mm. but if they are and you want to watch a film that shows you what not to look for in a relationship please watch this yeah Uh, this is like the guide to red flags yeah yeah. because they they start as minor red flags like wanting to read her diary and lying to her and stuff and it escalates to just yeah horribleness um yeah it's, it's so sad yeah i was looking forward to this show <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> funny funny yeah 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 sorry oh well Mm-hmm. We never have to watch it again. No. We never have to talk it about it again. No, no, it's no. done. It's bad. It's gone. Game over for this it's film. Gone. It can't hurt us anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what else have you been doing? What else have you been watching? Uh, right, um, I have a little list. <laughs> I'm going to start with my nerdy thing. I okay. have been watching uh, Fake or Fortune on BBC iPlayer. Okay. It is, it's got Fiona Bruce in it and uh, our expert that I can't remember the name of. And basically, they, they the person comes to them going, I think I have a real Monet. Um. And then they're like art detectives and try and prove that it is a real Monet um, and not a fake. And, um, yeah, they, they get to play art detectives. They travel all over the world. They oh. um, they do all the sciencey stuff behind it, like get the, the painting, like x-rays and paint samples, uh, analyze and stuff to try and prove that it's by the artist that they say it is. Mm-hmm. And then they have to send it to the artist's, like, um, society that looks after the work for that artist mm-hmm. to see if they approve it as being real. So um, it's, it's some of them are like, I bought this on eBay. I want to see if no. it's by this person. Um, some of them are like artwork from churches and they're trying to prove that they're by old Italian masters. There's ones that have people who've inherited it and always thought it was by this famous artist like a Gainsborough or something mm. like that. And then the art detectiveness starts. <laughs> and um, I, uh, <laughs> and it's like such Sunday night oh, wow. 
Sunday night BBC viewing uh, mm-hmm. has kind of like that antiques road show you feel to it. Um, but the, I mean, I've got an art degree, so like the arty nerd in me really mm-hmm. enjoys it. And uh, that finding out about the art, um, the science behind trying to uncover the life of an artwork and also the conservation restoration aspect of it is really interesting yeah and also it's introducing me to a lot of artists that I'd never even heard about before that are well respected in their fields and mm-hmm. have a huge resume of work that you know can make hundreds of thousands of dollars at auction um so yeah it's super nerdy it's very bbc Sunday night viewing. Yeah. Um, but I, I've really been enjoying it. Some of the episodes I've watched a few times because, like, just uncovering the life of a canvas mm-hmm. is really fascinating. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've been, been enjoying that. Sounds BBC good. iPlayer, Fake or Fortune. Um, yeah. And also, Fiona Bruce has some amazing outfits in it. Oh, okay. She's, she's <laughs> so stylish. Um, like, she'll be in Rome in, like, a, a a denim jumpsuit and stuff. And I'm like, she's just a classy lady. Oh, Fiona. She's <laughs> such a classy lady. She makes me so. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, also, because because they do so much travel, it's obviously quite an expensive program to make and to pay for all the scientific analysis and stuff. Mm. So, although there's like eleven series of it on iPlay, there are only like f- four episodes per series. Yeah. Um. So, like, it's quite easy to get through them. Like, and they're quite casual viewing as well, so it's quite nice. Yeah. Um. And also, I think I have like a bit of familiarity because the first time I watched it, I I was staying at my grandmother's house and they're uh, watching Sunday Night BBC viewing and me and my grand really enjoyed watching it together. So I have oh. that like nice memory of my grandmother that accompanies yeah. it as well. So yeah, yeah that, that's really lovely. Yeah. Um, other thing I've been watching on BBC iPlayer has been The Cleaner with uh, Greg Davies. Which I recommended to you. I don't know how far you are in. I think I might have watched the whole thing now. Mm. Yeah, I think I watched it all. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the blurb. So apparently it's based on a German comedy called the Tangerine. I'm not pronouncing that. I'm sorry. It's based (laughs) on a German German comedy. French, I can usually have a go at, but German, I just Let my me. brain can't understand that many vowels in one word. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, the plot: Paul Wickstead, known as Wiki, a government certified cleaning technician, is responsible for the removal of any signs of death from crime scenes. So he's a crime scene cleaner. Mm. In the course of his work, he gets to know a variety of people, and. I really like the episodic nature of this. So when yeah. he turns up at the crime scene, meets this person, the whole episode is dedicated to that one person. Mm. And comedy ensues. Yeah. So yeah. the first episode, Helena Bonacarta turns up 
and she is just like this quirky um like bored frustrated housewife excellent yeah so much fun so much silliness yeah um it's like later episodes where david mitchell is a an author a writer and he's trying to write while wiki's <laughs> cleaning his house after this crime has turned up uh taken place um there's another one where he goes into the house of like a youtuber influencer mm. and bonds with them that they're, they're really really good they are. and they're, they're just the fun little episodes the comedy is i'd say quintessential british humor um yes yes I mean, there's a lot of silliness, like just stupid, and that's mm-hmm. what's quite fun about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, as a later episode, I think the last episode where Wiki ends up in the house of an ex-girlfriend cleaning up after a crime, mm. and it's my favorite episode because his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, is written in such a confident, no, no shits taken. I'm not dealing with your like emotional fallout from our breakup like two decades ago she's just like yeah you know let's i'm cracking on with my life why aren't you why are you still living in the past and the women in this are written so beautifully yeah like none of them have these traits of being a victim and you would think like this crime scene cleaner going into their houses after this horrible thing has taken place would place them in the stereotypical role as victim, weak, vulnerable. And they're not. They're no. such intelligent, well-written, confident women. Mm. Um, I love it so much. Yeah. No, it's been lovely to just... Just the difference between all the characters. Like, just... I do love a little... Uh, what do you call it? Where it's... The one thing joining all the stories is the one main character, but all the stories are different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 It's uh, just very well written. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. funny. Very, very thoughtful. Yeah. And I mean, Greg Davies fundamentally plays himself, which is like mm. a bit grumpy, a bit silly, mm. like just generally frustrated with life. Yeah. <laughs> Loves a bit of an argument, um, and for not in like a serious, angry way, but you know, just loves that discourse of disagreeing with someone, mm. um, and trying to understand someone else's point of view by having a bit of a heated debate rather than shouting someone down. Yeah, um, it, it's just so much fun. I think it's like seven episodes on iPlayer is six from the main series and then there's a Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Um and they are really fun to watch. They're an easy watch. And um I started watching them when I was on a plane. I was on a long haul flight and um had a bit of a panic attack for like I I'm usually okay flying, but on this flight the plane setup was awful. The seats were really close together. It was just really bad. I had a panic attack. And I was like sucking on ice chips, trying to calm down because the air hostesses were not helpful. Oh. Um, 
and I was sucking on ice shit trying to calm down. And I put this on and it it just brought me out of it and cheered me up so much. I think I watched like four episodes back yeah. to back on the flight and suddenly just felt like normal and calm again because Oh, thanks, Greg Davies. <laughs> I know. I, no. No. No, no thanks to the airline that I was flying with. Freaking mm. awful. Never flying with them again. Mm. I will not name them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, it really just, like, took me into that little world and absorbed me. And I was completely focused on it and just started having fun with it. Yeah. Like, it was just really engaging and enjoyable. Yeah. And just a, a bit of you know, whimsy set in the real world. Yeah. Um, it's quite, like, grounding. Yeah. And it's it's just... I think the episodes are only, like, half an hour. Yeah, um, they're short little, short little ones. Yeah. yeah. They're just so well done. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Thank you, Greg Davies, for getting me through my <laughs> panic attack <laughs> on a frigging plane when I still had six hours of my flight to go. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I was really grateful for this because I I downloaded it before I got on the plane and then remembered I had it when I was like, what can I do to take my mind off of this? What can I do to calm down? And I was like, I have this comedy downloaded. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's give this a bash. Mm -hmm. And it worked a treat. Um, so, yeah, thank you to all involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's brilliant. And as I say, I do really love the women in this. Joe Hartley is the actress that plays the girlfriend in episode six. Hmm. The ex-girlfriend. And she is magnificent in it. She's really just very commanding in the role. She's brill. So good. Yeah. Absolutely so good. Yeah. Um have you been watching anything else? Not really. I haven't had a lot of time to watch stuff at the moment. Um, mm, life is getting in the way at the moment. I know. Too mm -hmm. busy doing but things. But I have been exciting. listening to... It is. Yeah, it's all good things. Mm -hmm. um, I have been listening to over the past God, year or two. Um, I don't think I've mentioned it before. This podcast called Sinisterhood. Um, it's two women from Texas. One used to be a lawyer. She's now able to do this podcast full time. Um, and her friend, they're both uh, comedians. And um, yeah, it's kind of, it's not like a murder podcast as such. It's like a little bit and then cryptids or they'll talk about mystery things or haunted stuff or it's a nice little creepy genre but they're so good at it they're so because one of the girls used to one of the women used to um be a lawyer her ability to research is impeccable so you mm. get the full background of everything like you get so much detail you also if there's like a court case involved in something she will help explain the process in like regular people english it's oh yeah. that's always helpful yeah really helpful and just they're just funny as well. Like, they're just sinisterhood. I completely, fully recommend it. Like, yeah, nothing too dark most of the time. Occasionally, but if there's something dark, then they'll go something really silly. So I know things about Mothman. <laughs> I know things about um, leprechauns. I've learned things about um, 
let me think what is it like the real housewives the the weirdness that was going on with that and all the the murder with mm. that a lot of different cults i've learned loads of stuff about um yeah just a really nice little but so cheerful and so uplifting mm-hmm. and yeah no it's it's a good little podcast um i've caught up with it at the moment now though so i have to wait every week to listen to it so i, I mean i don't i don't really have any cheery podcasts that i've been listening to so yeah <laughs> because you because you know me i'm all about like the murder podcast i would um, recommend like, i would absolutely recommend that, it because there are occasionally but it's it's the fun stuff in between like that mm-hmm. yeah takes your mind off things for a bit yeah that's good i mean the, i've been listening to two podcasts at the moment both are kind of similar theme so the bbc have just released a second series of i'm not a monster and i did i did listen to the first series um and both series are about women who have left their home countries to go and live in the ISIS caliphate in Syria. Oh, wow. And um, the first series focuses on American women and her children going there and how they then return to the US. Um, and it has, you know, is the limited series. So first series looks at you know the lead up to them going what happened while they were there and how they ended up leaving and how they were treated when they returned to the US and the fallout mm-hmm. from that. Um the new series is on Shamima Begum who oh yeah is the British one of the British teenagers that ran away to join the Caliphate and ISIS and um the political involvement in trying to bring her home how the UK government uh, stripped her of her British nationality um, and kind of it's her story because she is interviewed and she talks about it and this is what I quite like is that um, the creator of this Josh he goes and speaks to these women to find out their story and find out you know what led up to them leaving how they were treated when they were there how they are now being treated Mm. um by the governments really in in a lot of these cases they were victims in one way or another and then the government are treating them as criminals um so it's really interesting listening to and really harrowing these two women's life so- stories. So the first woman is called Sam. Um, sorry, I can't find her surname, but it is covered in this about her relationship with her husband and how she is kind of tricked into going to Syria to live in the caliphate with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Shamima talks about kind of, you know, this teenage romanticised perception of, going to the caliphate and being you know this treasured wife mm-hmm. um and it it is really it's not always an easy listen i feel like the guy who makes it josh and his team handle it with a lot of care and respect mm-hmm. while still diving into the deeper dis- difficult issues um and I, I have a few episodes of the Shamina Begum one to catch up on. Um, but it, they're really well done. Um, 
but you're very, very serious. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The o- other podcast I've been listening to is called Blowback, and this is on Spotify and I think all other um, podcast places. And it's a podcast about American history and foreign policy, and it's hosted by two guys called Noah and Brendan. Um, and I've started listening to the first series of this, which is dedicated to the Iraq War, and it talks about, you know, the lead-up, the underlying political situations that led up to the actual war, mm-hmm. and then a lot of the atrocities that were committed during the war. During the war. But they actually make it quite funny. They make jokes. Uh, <laughs> they tell, like, ridiculous, silly stories that happened during the Iraq War. Um one of the ones I can remember off the top of my head is that Saddam Hussein's son had some kind of animal sanctuary zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, when the war happened, the zoo, obviously, all these animals got free and started roaming around. Oh, and God. apparently there was just like hundreds of cats, hundreds of cats everywhere. He had like a big menagerie of cats and all these cats were just wandering around <coughs> Iraq Um and all these soldiers, these American soldiers would find them and, like, you know, give them treats and pet them and stuff. And this colonel was so pissed off about it. He then ordered all his soldiers to kill all these cats and kittens. Oh, like, America was literally killing kittens. And somehow <laughs> they still thought they were the good guys. Was this colonel not sat there going, oh, kill the kittens? Oh, maybe I'm the baddie. Right? Yes. Fucking yes, you're killing kittens. You with the baddie. So yeah, Noah and Josh, uh, sorry, Noah and Brendan find all these ridiculous stories and pepper them throughout the serious, like, um, foreign foreign policy, governmental Mm -hmm. atrocities that are happening. They find all these just ridiculous, you couldn't make this shit up stories and pepper them throughout. So although... When I did my degree, I studied a lot about American images of propaganda and did know quite a few of the stories that they cover. There is so much more shit that they found out, just mm. ridiculousness that I, like, I'll be listening to and just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, so like killing kittens. Whoa. Uh, just whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the first the first series is all about the Iraq War. Second series is apparently about the Cuban Revolution. I've not got there yet. And the third series is about the Korean War. And Josh and Brendan are very much like, we want to find some humour in this. We know yeah. it's a very serious issue, but we want yeah. to make it listenable. Hopefully we've had enough time between the events actually happening that you know people can also see some humour in it. And that, I really appreciate their style, so... Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to give it a listen, it's definitely on Spotify because that's where I'm listening to it. Oh, cool. It's very informative. I feel like I'm learning something. What was it called again? It's called Blowback. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, I found it because I was just Googling like podcasts to do with ISIS Caliphate. Yeah. <laughs> because I... Like I have listened to a few about kind of ISIS and uh, the war in Syria and things like that. There's a, there's a group, 
great uh, New York Times podcast called Caliphate um, that I listened to many years ago. And it's this journalist who go- went into Syria with her team mm. and would follow the army around and try and make sense of the political structure of the caliphate and ISIS. So when America were rolling through places that they'd fought ISIS in and got them out of that area, she would go in and look for documents. Mm -hmm. Because the army weren't interested in documents, they were just interested in, you know, clearing ISIS out of an area. She would go in and find documents and try and find out about the political structure of ISIS and where they were getting their money from and which companies, businesses, countries were funding ISIS. Um, That that really is a fascinating podcast. It's just like one limited series, but her story that she weaves from her time in Syria, speaking to people, working with translators and people that used to live in that area that are have been had their lives destroyed through ISIS and just the papers and documentation ISIS would leave lying around when they deserted an area and had to retreat mm. is honestly fascinating listening. Mm. Um, so that's Caliphate and it's a New York Times podcast if anyone's interested. I listen to all the exciting, <laughs> cheery podcasts. <laughs> I I really, you know, really oh, like to restore my faith in humanity by oh. listening about the worst of humanity. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe next week I will try and uh, think of some comedy co- podcasts that I listen to. Um, so I can <laughs> shed some out. some humor yeah. rather than yeah. Maybe I should, I, should, I should probably listen to something that has something to do with real life and yeah. <laughs> seriousness. So yeah, but, you know. Oh well, I know how to cheer myself up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do. I watched the cleaner when I was at one of my lowest points on the plane. So I, I do know mm-hmm. how to cheer myself up. So. Mm-hmm. I went for a walk this morning, like at stupid o'clock, like eight o'clock in the morning and was walking through like part of the woods like, oh, this is when people find dead bodies, isn't it? <laughs> so I was like, maybe I shouldn't listen to any more murder podcasts because why? Why do I, I didn't find any bodies. Uh, I just got talked well to by a couple of dogs. Like, it was fine. It was fine, but um, yeah. <laughs> we have really skewed our perception of reality. Really have. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh well, we always have a laugh about it. That's all that matters. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. So, anything else from you? No, no. Well, that. That is all from me. So whoever made it to the end, <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you for sticking with us. Yeah. Uh, Appreciate it. <laughs> and um hopefully it won't be so long between this episode and the next one. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah. 
thank you very much for listening. Thank and you. And we will see you, well, you will see hear us next time. You mm -hmm. won't see us, but you'll hear us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bye.